Today we're going to be in Joshua 18, and we'll also be covering chapter 19. The last time that we went through Joshua, we saw the boundaries of Judah, Ephraim, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and we saw a little bit more insight onto Caleb and his family. Tonight we're going to see the boundaries of Benjamin, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. And you might be saying, wow, how exciting. (laughs) I can't wait for you to read off all those cities. But you know what? This is cool because this isn't something that, I mean, I I like to be challenged in the scripture. I can't say that I'm great in a lot of these tribes and what their peculiarities are, but I try to make it a little bit more interesting tonight, fun in that when I go through each one of the tribes, I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about that person as a son of Jacob, right, the 12 sons, and I'm going to talk to you about that tribe as the patriarch died and his family expanded and the the tribes were set up, so the the family, the clan groups, okay? And I'm also going to talk a little bit about, in some instances, Jacob's prophecy about his sons before he died, and that's covered in Genesis 49. So without further ado, chapter 18, starting with verse 1. It says, Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them. So you see that Gilgal was the big meeting place. Now it's changed to Shiloh, which is about 20 miles northwest of Gilgal. And the last stop that we see where the tabernacle of meeting is, uh, in a sense, you know, before the temple, they had the portable system the Ark of the Covenant, they carried it. They had the tent systems that they packed it up and they carried it wherever they were going. But the last stop we'll see later on in the scripture is Jerusalem. That's the, pretty much the final resting stop of the tabernacle or the place of meeting God. But I, th- I find it interesting is that the tabernacle of meeting was the place where the children of Israel met with God and it wasn't without requirements or death ensued. So you had to be the high priest when you were going to go into God's presence. You had to come with a blood sacrifice. You had to, there just was so many things involved. The average person couldn't just go to where God's glory was, was hovering over the, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant and just walk in there. Okay? I, I can't get out of my head Raiders of the Lost Ark. When they opened up the, the cover and, and the, 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 they came and killed all the bad guys. But, uh, so, you know, sort of like that. <laughs> But not really. So do you realize that the Lord now can meet with us any place, any time? We don't have to trek to Jerusalem. We don't have to do that. We don't have to go through a high priest anymore. Jesus is our high priest, right? And and honestly, I think that if the children of Israel could see into the future the way we can be in God's presence, I think they'd give their right arm to the type of relationship that we have with God. Okay, now in light of Christ. Um, uh, Let's see, what else? 4.16, Hebrews 4.16 says that we can boldly, let me read that. We can boldly come before the the throne of grace at any time when we need mercy and grace. Uh, And what's interesting about that is, and you saw it in the different books of the Old Testament, when you went into a king's presence, you couldn't just walk in because he was the dictator, he was the monarch, he was highly esteemed. It's not like our presidential system here. And if you came and walked into the king's chambers without an invitation, you'd probably get killed. So I think this this scripture has a lot of really neat significance in that 
we can come before the throne room of God at any time because we call him Father and say, Father, you know, just come before him, right? We can do that now. And I think that we take for granted the situation or the relationship that we could have with him and that we probably don't use it as much as we should. And I think that probably, I don't think anybody could say I have the best prayer life and I don't need to improve on it. I think we can always improve on it. Verse 2. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the, Lord, which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men for each, from each tribe, for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in the territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp of Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. So lots, we see lots coming up a lot. Lots, to explain it a little bit, was sort of like a, a random way of making decisions much like flipping a coin or uh, rolling the dice. And it's a possibility, and I don't think anybody knows for certain, but there's a lot of speculation uh, that it was possibly different colored stones or objects or objects with markings on them, sort of like dice, that they were cast. Almost like if you had like a clay jug or, and you put these things in and you shook them up and you, 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 know, you let it go. It's random. Which one's going to come out first? And they believe that that's where the term blackballed came from because there would be a white stone and a black stone. And if the black stone came up, it was not good for you, but if the white stone came up, you were kind of exonerated. So you see a lot of this stuff that comes from, you know, years ago. Another thing to throw into the mix was the Urim and the Thummim. The high priest wore a breastplate, and they believe he had like a pocket in it that had these, this Urim and Thummim, and he would use them, to, sort of a randomness way to, to uh, make decisions. However, let me throw into the mix that Randomness really isn't randomness. If you're a child of God, you're expecting, no matter what you're rolling or whatever you're pulling out, that God is actually answering it for you. So you roll your dice or whatever you do, you cast your lots, and you're trying to make a decision. Depending on how it came out, if you're a person of faith, you're expecting God to help that outcome to make your decision. Okay? Again, they were used a lot in the Old Testament. And lots for the last time were cast in Acts chapter 1 that we went through on Sunday. And then with the giving of the Holy Spirit, lots weren't used anymore. And I think about the way, again, the flipping of the coin, the casting of lots, the rolling of the dice. Now, things are different now. Our life is guided by the Holy Spirit. Before, it was like life was like flipping a coin. I remember my life before I was saved. A lot of foolish decisions. 
I might as well have flipped a coin to what I was going to do because I made some dumb decisions. It's almost like me saying, gee, what foolish thing am I going to do this weekend? Or what foolish plan do I have for the rest of my life? Well, let me flip a coin. Let's see what it says, Joe. You know? But, again, we have the Holy Spirit now. And things may not be terribly uh, easy as a Christian, but God doesn't promise us an easy street life. However, we do have God guiding us. And I tell you what, I've never felt so secure. Right? Verse 3. He says, How long will you neglect and go to possess the land? Remember, with blessings always come responsibilities. You see that all over the scripture. How long will we neglect to go and lay hold of what God has given us? And that's a question. All of you looking at me right now, in your minds, I can't read your minds, but when I say that, how long will you neglect and go and possess what God has given you? Every one of you, probably something comes to mind that God has been asking you to lay hold of and you haven't done it, right? And, and I could look at that too, even starting this church. The Bible studies for years and, and everything that God was laying the framework for me, maybe, you know, maybe I, I neglected some things and maybe I should have done things sooner. I don't know. But we can always look at our lives and say, what is it that God is trying to show us and what are we neglecting, in a sense? So, you know, how long will we waste our time with things that have no eternal consequences instead of doing what God has asked us to do, right? Verse 11. Now, a lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Their border on the north side, let me stop for a second. If you have those maps that we have in the back, we, we gave out those boundaries maps, uh, I, won't be, I won't be upset if you want to just get up and go get one if you don't have one. They're on the chair back there. But they show each of the, the children of Israel, the tribes, and where they settled in the, area, you know, the land of, of Israel. So verse 12. The border on the north side began at the Jordan, and the border went up to the south, the side of Jericho on the north, and went up through the mountains westward. It ended at the wilderness of Beth-Avon. The border went over from there toward Luz, to the side of Luz, which is Bethel, southward. And the border descended to Ataroth-Adar, near the hill that lies on the south side of lower Beth-Horon. Then the border extended from there around the west side to the south, from the hill that lies before Beth Horon southward, and it ended at Kirjath Baal, which is Kirjath Jerim, a city of the children of Judah. This was the west side. You see that if you're not looking at <laughs> some maps, it's your head will spin. So you kind of got to try to follow some of these areas and the borders and all that kind of stuff. The south side began at the end of Kirjath Jerim, and the border extended on the west and went out to the spring of the waters of Nephtaah. Then the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies before the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is in the valley of Rephaim on the north, descended to the valley of Hinnom to the side of the Jebusite city on the south, and descended to Enrogel. And it went around from the north, went out to Enshemesh, and extended toward Galiloth, which is before the ascent of Adumim, and descended to the stone of Boham, the son of Reuben. Some of these things aren't on the map, <laughs> as you've noticed. Then it passed along toward the north side of Areba and went down to Areba. And the border passed along to the north side of Beth Hogla. Then the border ended at the north bay at the Salt Sea at the south end of the Jordan. This was the southern boundary. And I'm going to, okay, 
Then the Jordan was its border on the east side. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin, according to its boundaries all around, according to their families. I'm going to spare you verses 21 through 28. I'm not going to read you every single one of those um, you know, families. You can read that on your own. Now, Benjamin, or Benjamin, means in Hebrew, the son of the right hand. Benjamin, as a person, was Jacob's youngest son. He was adored by Jacob. But as a tribe, this tribe harbored fugitives of a horrible crime. And if we don't get raptured, we'll see this in Judges 20 when we get to it, because we're going to move from Joshua to Judges. So, there's a horrible crime that was committed, and uh, the fugitives were were holed up in, in the tribe of Benjamin, and for some reason they decided not to give these guys up to the rest of the children of Israel. Again, you can see that in Judges 20. Next to... Benjamin actually was next to Judah when Israel split into two kingdoms. Um, After Solomon and his son, uh, he decided he was going to try to be tougher than his father. And the children of Israel, uh, Israel split into two pretty much nations. Two tribes in the south and ten in the top. And um, it was Judah and Benjamin in the south. Okay. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon according to their families, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. They had in their inheritance Beersheba, Sheba, Moladah, and then you have Hazer, Shual, Bala, Ezem, Eltolad, Bethel, Horma, Ziklag, Beth, Markaboth, Hazar, Susa, Beth, Lebeoth, and Sharuhan, thirteen cities and their villages. Ain, Rimon, Ether, and or Ether, and Asian, four cities and their villages, and all the villages that were around these cities as far as Baalath, Beir, Ramah of the south. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Simeon according to their families. The inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the portion of the children of Judah, for the portion of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the inheritance of that people. And I'll explain that. So, Simeon means hearing. Simeon, with Levi as individuals, as men, massacred the Shechemites in retaliation for their sister Dina's rape. And that was in Genesis. Um, the tribe, the tribe of Sin- Simeon, with Judah, fought the Canaanites in Judges 1, and they had victory over the Amalekites in 1 Chronicles 4. Now, In Genesis 49, one of Jacob's prophecies to one of his sons, Simeon, was that God was angry at the bloodshed massacre that they committed in Shechem. So, Simeon didn't necessarily get an inheritance. His inheritance was within the tribe of Judah, and we just read that. So they kind of had an inheritance, but it was really within Judah. And Judah had a, a pretty large inheritance. Okay? Verse 10. The third lot came out for the children of Zebulun according to their families, and the border of the inheritance was as far as Sarid. Their border went toward the west and to Marilah, went to Dabesheth, and extended along the brook that is east of Jachnium. Then from Sarid it went eastward toward the sunrise along the border of Chisloth-Tabor and went out toward Debaroth, bypassing Japhia. And from there it passed along on the east of Gath-Hefer toward Eth-Kazin and extended to Rimmon, which borders on Nia. 
Then the border went around it on the north side of Hanathon, and it ended with the valley of Jiphthael. Included were Katath, Nahalal, Shimron, Idalah, and Bethlehem, twelve cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Zebulun, according to their families, these cities with their villages. So Zebulun means dwelling, dwelling. That's what it means. As a tribe, they fought alongside Deborah the judge in Judges 5. That's an interesting story. Uh, when we get to Judges 5, we'll see that. Zebulun also fought against Gideon in Judges 6. And the Zebulun's, the people from Zebulun, were warriors in David's army. And again, I liked, I liked the, I'm really was getting excited about the peculiarities within each one of these tribes. I was. I don't know if you are. But. And verse 19.5 is very interesting because the most important thing about Zebulun is the fact that it contained the town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Are you guys all sleeping? This is only my second page of notes. <laughs> okay? I, I mean, how many of you realize what I just said was wrong? <laughs> okay. Hopefully I didn't throw too many of you. But I was testing you. There's two Bethlehems. There was one in Zebulun, which I just said that Jesus was born there, and I purposely said that wasn't true. The other Zebulun was in uh, Judah. Okay? Let me read Micah 5.2. <laughs> That's not fair, right? Entrapment. Micah 5.2. He says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. <laughs> this prophecy is very specific. Bethlehem Ephrathah was in Judah. And there was another Bethlehem, as we just read, in Zebulun. So there was a distinction that God made when he was prophesying about where Jesus would be born, that he was, because Bethlehem was, was you know, not, not a lot of inhabitants there. So it's great because God, when he makes his prophecies, they're so detailed and they're so exact, you know, because he's God. And he says, watch this, it's going to come true. And it comes true. Unlike Gene Dixon, you ever see, what is it, the uh, Inquirer, Gene Dixon prophecies? She's supposed to be a prophet. But, you know, she gets, what, maybe 50% of them right? Not a whole lot, or probably even less. In the Old Testament, if you got one prophecy wrong and you claimed to be speaking for God, they'd stone you. <laughs> I don't think she claims to be speaking from God, though. Horoscopes, again, they're general, too. They're sort of like prophecy, but they're general. You know, you will meet somebody interesting today. I meet interesting people every day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Nothing specific about that. Nostradamus, well, he cheated because the Bible was written before him, uh, some 1,500 years prior to him, I believe. Okay, so God wanted to make sure that there was no mistake for people to know where Jesus was going to be born. Right? Now, with the same detail and exactness that God uses for his word, he puts the same care, detail, and concern into our own lives individually. You know, he doesn't want us to throw our lives away. He has a wondrous plan for all of us, bar none. So it's kind of cool. Again, the same exactness and detail that he puts in his word and these prophecies, he has that same detail for every one of us. And, and again, I don't know how he does it because he's God, so that's the answer to that. But he can have individual conversations with us. He can hear us. He can bless us. He can be so in tune to each one of our lives. And there's just so many people on the planet. How does he do it? But... I don't know. He's God. Verse 17. Let's go back to Joshua. 
Verse 17. The fourth lot came out to Issachar, for the children of Issachar, according to their families, and their territory went to Jezreel and included Chesaloth, Shunem, Haphraim, Shion, Anaharoth, Rabbith, Kishion, Abez, Remeth, and Ganim, and Hada, and Beth Pazez. And the border reached to Tabor, Shah, Hazamah, that wasn't fair because the other part of the word was on the next line, and Beth Shemesh. Their border ended at Jordan, 16 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Issachar, according to their families, the cities and their villages. Issachar means man of hire. This tribe had a smattering of everything in it. Mostly they were known for their physical strength and their warriors. Verse 24. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher, according to their families, and their territory included Helkath, Hali, Beten, Ashaph, Alamelech, Ahmad, and Mishal. It reached to Mount Carmel westward along the brook Shihor Libnath. It turned south toward the sunrise of Beth Dagon, and it reached to Zebulun and to the valley of Jephthah El. Then northward beyond Beth Emek and Niel, bypassing Kabul, which was on the left, including Ebron, Rehob, Haman, and Cana, as far as Greater Sidon. And the border turned to Ramah and to the fortified city of Tyre. Then the border turned to Hosea and ended at the sea by the region of Akshzib. Also, Uma, Aphek, and Rehob were included, 22 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Asher, according to their families, these cities with their villages. Asher means happy. It's nice. Uh, Asher was known for its prosperity, but it tolerated the Canaanites. And we'll see that in Judges 1. There were some, right off the bat, you read Judges 1, there were certain people, certain tribes that, eh, I'm not going to bother with the Canaanites. So Asher was one of those people. It didn't help Deborah defeat the Canaanites, but it later helped Gideon as a tribe. So it seemed to be a mixed bag with these guys. Talk about literally picking and choosing your battles. That phrase must have been named after Asher because it's like, all right, I don't feel like fighting in this battle, which I should, but eh, time, some time has passed. I'll fight with them in that battle. So these people literally picked and choose their battles. Now, spiritually, if you want to take that to a, make a spiritual parallel, that's dangerous because we really never take a break from the spiritual battlefield as Christians. All it takes is one moment of weakness you could have a, a failed marriage in a broken home. One financial temptation, you can end up in jail. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, Satan is always willing to tempt us as Christians, but we always have to take the sword of the Spirit and fight those battles. And that's key, the sword of the Spirit. Sometimes we take up carnal weapons, and I think we're all guilty of this, and we try to fight with carnal weapons, and we, we don't do very well. You know, it's, it's, God's got to be in it. You know what I'm saying? He's got to be in it for us to win it. But uh, I even, it's funny, I was, sometimes I counsel with, you know, Pastor Lloyd because he pretty much mentored me. Um, he, you know, I learned from him for many years. I got saved at Calvary Chapel Oldbridge, and he said, you know what? I said, does it ever end like these battles? He goes, they don't end. <laughs> and that really wasn't very comforting to me. <laughs> he goes, the battles don't end. You just learn how to fight them better. And said, that was good insight. Okay. So now at least I know what to look out for, right? Something's always going to come around the corner. Verse 32. 
The sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali, for the children of Naphtali according to their families. And their border began at Helef, enclosing the territory from the Terebinth tree in Zananim, Zananim, Adamai, Nekeb, and Jabneel, as far as Lakum. It ended at the Jordan. Something funny about that, the Terebinth tree. Like, that was a marker, right? I remember when I started as a police officer in Franklin, and, you know, I was a rookie, and they would say, old, old, by the old, old boulder or by the big oak tree. I'm like, what the heck are these guys talking about? I'm looking for street signs. They're giving me measurements through big rocks and trees. But, you know, I, I can see it here. I mean, like, they didn't have GPS back then, so they would look at certain you know, natural landmarks, and they would say, that's your border, right? Verse 34. From Helef, the border extended westward to Asnoth Tabor and went out from there toward Hukok and adjoined Zebulun on the south side and Asher on the west side and ended at Judah by the Jordan toward the sunrise. And the fortified cities are Zidim, Zer, Hamath, Rekath, Shinareth, Adama, Ramah, Hazor, Kedesh, Edre, and Hazor, Iron, Migdal El, Horem, Beth Anath, and Beth Shemesh, 19 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Naphtali, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Naphtali means my wrestling. Naphtali was described as a deer in Jacob's prophecy. Right, Genesis 49. Naphtali didn't initially drive out the Canaanites, and he was in good company. Barak, who was a judge alongside of Je- Deborah, which again we'll get to in Judges, was from Naphtali. Barak no- mobilized the Naphtalians. I don't even know if that's a word, but it sounds good. He mobilized the Naphtalians to fight Canaanites later. So you see a lot of this back and forth. Isaiah prophesied that Naphtali, and maybe you remember this from... Um, well, I did Matthew in the Bible study on Sunday nights, that Naphtali would see, receive a great light, and that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, as Galilee was in that area of Naphtali. I'm going to read Matthew 4, just for a little refresher, a few verses, starting with verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness saw a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And we see that in that region was really Jesus' home base for his ministry. What a blessing that, that must have been. Imagine if Jesus, you know, you know, if we lived in those times and the United States was like Israel and Jesus was going to choose a place to have his home base and he was going to do it at Middlesex County. How cool would that be? You could always go see him. So they did see, they saw a great light and this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus' ministry. Verse 35, you see Chinareth or Chinareth um, is in Naphtali, which means harp in Hebrew. And I just learned this recently. I didn't know this before. The Sea of Chinnereth, again, later was called the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Tiberias. It had many names over the years. But uh, Chinnereth, Harp, the reason why it was named, the Sea of Galilee was named after that, was because it, if you look at it on the map, it's kind of shaped like a harp. 
Isn't that interesting? I found it interesting. Verse 40, Dan. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families. And the territory of their inheritance was Zorah, Eshtaol, Ir Shemesh, Sha'alabim, Aijalon, Jethla, Elon, Timnah, Ekron, Elteka, Gibbethon, Baalath, Jehud, Bin Barak, Gath Rimon, Mi Jarkon, and Rakon with the region near Joppa. And the border of the children of Dan went beyond these because the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it. And they struck it with the edge of the sword, took possession of it, and dwelt in it. They called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan their father. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families, these cities with their villages. Dan in Hebrew means judge. Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge, right? So that's what Dan means. Dan was known for its physical strength and its warriors. As a matter of fact, in Jacob's prophecy, Genesis 49, Dan was described as a viper that bites the horse's heel so the rider falls backwards. <laughs> so imagine, hey, this is you. You're the viper that bites the horse's heel so the rider you know, falls backwards. I guess they were pretty tough. However, in Judges 1, we see they couldn't take the Amorites, so Dan ends up moving to the mountains. <laughs> we don't like the neighborhood here. We're going to move to the mountains. You know, They couldn't take the Amorites. But you see this oscillation again, this going back and forth with these tribes having strengths and weaknesses. However, I believe, okay, history records that they were weak, they were strong, it would go back and forth. But I believe if they all would have laid hold of what God said to take, okay, take the Amorites, take the Canaanites, take, you know, whoever. If they really believed God, I believe they could have done it. But they probably got tired, you know, tired of fighting. And again, we see parallels in our own lives with um, strengths and weaknesses. That's why we're doomed if we're not relying on the Lord, if we're not in prayer, if we're not in fellowship, and we're not taking up the sword of the Spirit. So, I've had discussions with the Lord regarding challenges uh, in my life, and I have often said, okay, Lord, <laughs> I'm not going to tackle that one yet unless I'm sure you're in it, because that's a big one, that's formidable. However, if you're in it with me, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. So... Verse 47, we see the tribe of Dan gets more because they take the town of Leshem. Uh, so they, you know, they take a little bit more. And they got more because they laid hold of more. They believed that God would deliver that town into their hands at that particular time, and they were given it. And this is in opposition to many of the tribes that fell short. So uh, these guys, again, a lot of tribes, well, I don't want to do it. I don't want to lay hold of it. I don't want to fight anymore. How about we'll stay on the east side of the Jordan? There's no bad guys there. But we'll give you some of our warriors. You know, they had all the excuses. Dan says, okay, these are our borderies, but I'm going to take that town too. And they took it. So, you know, you, you see that they, they laid hold of it. Verse 49 through 51, the last few verses. This is when they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders. The children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for. Timnath Sarah in the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritances which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, divided as an inheritance by Lot and Shiloh before the Lord, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. So it ends with Joshua. 
As with Caleb getting his promised portion, so does Joshua get his. Joshua and Caleb were ordinary, or excuse me, extraordinary men who received extraordinary inheritances because of their faithfulness. As a matter of fact, um, they were selfless leaders because they took their inheritances last, right? Even with Judah, Caleb waited and then at the end he took his portion, right? They were always thinking of other people first. As a matter of fact, these towns, right, Timnath, Sarah, if you look at it, what it means, Timnath means the portion that remains. And that was true. Joshua got the end. You know, he was thinking of others first and he took the portion that remained. And Sarah just means the city of the sun. Maybe it was really nice and the sun always shined over there. But, so that's what you got in the name. But God blesses the faithful and their blessing was an example to the people. Now, I don't know about you, but I get tired just reading of all these battles. I mean, if you, this is a good bedtime story, man. I mean, if you're, you have insomnia and you start reading about all these battles, it's, it's like you think about them fighting and stuff, and you, you, know, you probably get sleepy. So, you know, but God asked them to continually fight to establish their boundaries. And then I would say is, making the parallel, is it any different with us? I mean, we don't actually have to take the sword out of our sheath, literally, and start hacking people up like they did, but we fight spiritual battles. And the enemy can be far more difficult in a spiritual battle because, you know, in a regular battle, for the most part, if you're not blindsided, you know where the enemy is, you know what you've got to do, you know you've got to go fight them, and you can plan. In spiritual battles, you know, you don't always see the, the devil coming, right? He, he blindsides us a lot. That's why we always have to be, you know, in with God and, and be in communion with him. Some of you may be emotionally and spiritually exhausted tonight, but I want to encourage you to stay in the battle. <laughs> right? Some of you are. Now, one day you may be saying that to me. I may be exhausted and you may encourage me, but we need to encourage each other. But one last thing that I just want to say is that make sure God is the one providing the power to overcome. Let's pray. You know, you've got to go fight them and you can plan.